You are now listening to the Griot's Black Podcast Network, Black Culture Amplified. Hi, and welcome to The Blackest Questions, which is a trivia game show meant to teach us more about Black history. I'm your host, Dr. Christina Greer, politics editor for The Griot, and currently a Moynihan Public Scholars Fellow at City College in New York. In this podcast, we ask our guests some of the blackest questions so we can learn a little bit more about them and have some fun while we're doing it. We're also going to learn a lot about black history, past and present. So here's how this works. We have several rounds of questions about us, black history, the entire diaspora, current events, you name it. And with each round, the questions get a little tougher and the guest has 10 seconds to answer. If they answer correctly, they'll receive one symbolic black fist and hear this. And if they get it wrong, they'll hear this. We still love them anyway. And after the trivia questions, there'll be a black bonus round just for fun. I like to call it Black Lightning. Our guest for this episode is comedian, actress, and author Leslie Jones. You know Leslie as a standout member of Saturday Night Live and her hilarious stand-up comedy specials, the latest being Time Machine. Do you know what I've noticed lately who haven't been having fun? The fucking 20-year-olds. My funnest night in my 20s, I started at work doing shots in the back. Leslie has also starred in films like Ghostbusters and my beloved Coming to America sequel. And now Leslie is getting personal with her fans in her memoir, Leslie Effing Jones. Hello, Leslie. Thank you so much for joining The Blackest Questions. I'm so excited. How you doing? I'm listening to your intro. I was like, okay, first of all, her credit says, I am smart. Okay. I am educated. I know stuff. You're an author. Okay. Thank you. Like, for those of us who are watching the podcast, not just listening on, you know, the Grio app or Spotify, like, our books are next to each other. I, We're like book sisters. <laughs> We're book sisters. I love it's it. so cute, right? Okay. So, are okay. you ready for question number one? No, because I'm, I'm, your class is probably hard <laughs> as hell. Ugh. It is. They are. But my students love me because it's all about being on an intellectual journey together. So this is what we're going to do together. With okay, sisters. but do everybody be failing it, though? Do everybody Oh, be yes, of course. Sometimes, sometimes people fail. But, you know, oh, as you say in your book, you know, there's like failure is just one more step to obviously fulfilling our greatness. So sometimes we have oh, to. Oh, no, I would beg you. I'd be like, Chrissy, come on. <laughs> what I got to do for extra credit? <laughs> and I would say, first things first, we ain't friends. It's Dr. Oh. Greer, Professor Greer. That's what I would tell him. Not you. But to students. <laughs> and oh, when they say Miss Greer, I say, listen, Miss Greer is my mother. Okay. Um, excuse me. Options. I'm so sorry, Dr. <laughs> Greer. Please, I will write two two reports. Right. Please just give me extra credit. <laughs> and then, you know, then I take you out for tea and we can we go through things. Okay. Oh wow. Let's get started. Okay, okay. We are ready. Question number okay. one. I know I can feel it. You're gonna ace it. This actor has been a part of nearly three hundred projects, including hit television shows like Oz. Twin Peaks, and Quantum Leap. But he's best known for playing the character Winston Zedmore. Who is he? Oh, I know this, Jesus. Oh, I know this. Um, 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 the dude that played uh, in the Ghostbusters, the black dude in, uh, from Ghostbusters. And I'm looking right at him. I can't think of his name. Um, oh, my God, he's going to kill me. <laughs> I cannot think of his name. Oh, I can't think of his name. The black dude from Ghostbusters. I can't think That's of his right. name. That's right. I think we can give you half of a point, but it's Mr. Ernie Hudson, oh. also a friend of the podcast. Er- so, and Ernie is one of the sweetest people you will ever meet in he, your life. He really is. He came on The Blackest Questions and did very well. Can I But he grew answer? up writing. Did you know he grew up writing short stories, poems, and yes. songs? Yes. And he was a guest here on The Blackest Questions a few months ago, and he told us all about his life. 
I encourage everyone to go back and listen to that episode because he was a gem. And yes. he has a true love of the theater just like I do. But when he was just a teenager, he moved to Detroit to join the oldest black theater in the country, becoming the resident playwright at Concept East. He also studied acting at the prestigious Yale School of Drama. And he's been a part of hundreds of television shows and movies, including Ghostbusters. Yes. And he also made a cameo in the remake back in 2016 as your character's uncle. uncle. Yep, that's my <laughs> uncle. Oh, my goodness. I can't believe I couldn't remember his name. That's old Listen, people thing. And I tell people this all the time. When I go on my Griot siblings podcast and they ask me the simplest questions, I don't know what it is about my nerves. I'm like... I know, I know it. I can see the person. It's, just, it's like I can see the person, and I was like, I know his name. I know his name. And I wanted to say Tyrone so bad. It's so terrible. <laughs> oh. Well, I remember him from The Hand That Rocks the Cradle, and I loved him in that. Ooh, that's right. You I mean, remember? See, I don't he... understand that Like a lot of our black actors from back, they used to do everything. Write, everything. sing, dance, everything. Well, I really want to see you in something dramatic. Me too. After reading too. your You know, your I want to play memoir. a serial killer or something. Ooh, I think I really want to see you play someone who's like a really layered and textured like mother or sister like or best friend, you know, in like a real, like you and Niecy Nash, I think would kill it. Mm-hmm. Like you and Regina, Regina Hall or Regina King, I think. Oh, how about it. me and Tom Hanks? Listen, I read that in, in your memoir and I was like, I could see it. Mm-hmm. I could totally see that. Like Tom Hanks is, well, don't forget. I know Tom Hanks from Bosom Buddies. Yeah, yeah. So I feel like the comedic timing between you two, but also the dramatic gravitas that both of you are bringing from your life experiences. It could be I really good. Be it could phenomenal. be phenomenal. So when we had Ernie Hudson on, he was pretty vocal about what he felt like was some of the racist treatment that he's experienced on film sets. Mm. Um, and I know that you talked in your memoir about some of the sexism and racism that you've experienced um, not just in general, but also mm-hmm. in, in the remake. Um, and you talk a lot about that in your book. Were you surprised at some of the racism and sexism and the intersection of the two that you experienced in promoting the new Ghostbusters? I, th- I think I was more surprised that it still happens. I just was like, mm-hmm. dang, this is 2000 and something. What the, what, we, ain't, we haven't come far at all. Like, mm-hmm. what's going on? Like, well, you, you learned that um, <clears throat> certain like I say, institutions and stuff that you have in this business is still on, on the same thing of like, like they haven't, they haven't changed or developed or what, you know what I'm saying? Evolved in a way that we evolved that is the would. word that I'm looking for. Yeah. Because it's like when they say the word diversity, it feels like urban or it feels mm-hmm. like uh, mm-hmm. culture, or it feels, do you get what I'm saying? So Absolutely. it's like you still don't get it. Like we don't like the word, I hate the word diversity. I hate it because it's a, it's a tool that they now use that they go, you know, our stuff is diverse now. No, what is that? What is that? So, you know, on like I'm older, so yeah, I know what my, like, like now they have a word for it, microaggressions, which is hilarious because this is something we've experienced our whole life and just didn't mm-hmm. have a name for it. We just called mm-hmm. it white people stuff. Like, so, and, and I'm, and I'm being very honest. We call it, you know how they do stuff. Yeah, exactly. You know how white you people know how is. They do. That's, <laughs> that's it. And, and I'm sorry, I'm not trying to be, people be surprised that I say stuff that comes out of black people's mouth. I am a black woman who is 56 and I have lived through a lot of eras. So I'm literally a 2000 year old woman. That's what I tell people because for real, I've lived through the sixties, the seventies, eighties, nineties, and now, and trust me, 
it when you see the same stuff, you go, hey, man, we are not in the 80s. Are you saying something 80s to me? Because it would be like little stuff like, hey, Leslie, you know, we really fought for you for this part. You know, Leslie, like we really and you're like, no, listen. And this is why I tell people all the time. This is why you got to be so confident and really know what you do. It's it's really it's not cocky. It's convinced. Do you get what I'm saying? Like when you're Absolutely. sitting in a doctor's office, you don't you want your doctor to walk in and be like, man, this is what we going to do. Whoop, whoop, whoop. I know how to do that. that, 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 that. You don't want your doctor walking in going, I'm kind of good. Right. Um, um, they, I mean, maybe, I mean, they say there are people who are better than me, but they say, you know, right. so so like when people are talking to you like that, you won't take that into yourself and go, oh, my God, they're doing me a favor. I should be because I didn't take it like that. Whenever they would do like like they would say, well, let's be for me. Well, you didn't fall for me. You didn't fight for me. I fought for me. You picked right. me because I was the best one for this part. The director absolutely picked me. You didn't fight for me. Who else is up for this role that you thought was going to do what I'm doing? Nobody. Right. It's it's like a it's like a sanity check. Like, and believe it or not, Chrissy, like maybe a month ago, I had to check a woman in the store because she goes, "Oh, you're so well spoken." I said, "So are you, bitch." Right. <laughs> So were you. I said, isn't that funny how you made your way out the cave and learned how to clean yourself and talk? I literally right. said this to her, and you know what she did? She said, I am so sorry. Right. That was well, not appropriate for me to say. I said, no, it wasn't. It wasn't. Well, because my, my response when I get well-spoken or in academia, we call it articulate, right? Mm -hmm. um, and it's like, well, how am I supposed to speak? What were you assuming I would... Well, and, 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 that's, and that's the thing that we have to fight against. And I never really thought that that would, I really thought people had sense and know that there is no such thing as just a, 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 a block or a description of a black person, of a white person, mm -hmm. like this stuff that you coming up with, like you would be mad if I say, Hey, you want some mayonnaise? Cause that's what we know you white people to do is eat mayonnaise. Like, like you would be like offended. You should be. <laughs> That's a, do you know what I'm saying? Like, I know you don't want no seasoning on this. Yeah. I know you want to. So you want. Let me give you this bland chicken because right. I know you don't like. Well, do you like, get what I'm saying? Why is stereotype theater okay when it comes to black people? But, exactly. So, but so now, when people are talking to me and they're doing that, like, so when they were coming at me like that, you know, you're not fighting for me. I am Leslie Jones. And mm -hmm. this is what I one thing that I used to always make clear to you. You guys, listen, I used to tell them all the time, SNL definitely gave me the platform to become who it is I am. But I brought something to SNL too. And right. listen, I have been doing comedy long enough for me to say that I have a services, I am a freelance artist that is coming and uh, renting out my services to you for money. You don't own it. It's just like if right. I brought a tractor and you want to use my tractor, it costs this much money mm -hmm. and you can keep it for this amount of time. Right. But what I also thought was really fascinating about your memoir is that, you know, so much of it is how I live my life as well. And I'm not a comedian or a stand up, but it's I'm interviewing you, too. You're not just interviewing me. It's my life. I want to know if I want to be in this place. So it's like as much as I may think I want this job, when I come in, I'm actually looking around and seeing, 
do I want to be here? There's a lot of assumptions that I would, oh, I would love to be here. It's well, like, no, no, no. The street goes both ways. Yeah, but you know, that's what I'm saying. It's like you need to you need to definitely specify who you are because there is kids that come in there and mm-hmm. should be in that position of like, I'm here to learn and woo, woo, woo. But I had developed a skill and I'm I'm grateful, but I ain't grateful. Like like you I like right. you did like desperate, like, nah, son. I was doing comedy before I got here. I would go back to doing comedy because that's my skill. And 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 this is why I tell kids, that's not a, a confidence or something that you just are given. You have to build right. that. You have to earn that. And not from just people, for yourself. You right. have to earn it from yourself to be confident enough to go, hey, man, that's not how we rocking. But, right. but yeah, like, like I'm a black woman. I'm six feet tall. I have natural hair. And no, I know that your boyfriend is black and you have an interracial child, but that doesn't mean that you can do my hair. I've had no. people tell me that. Oh, I have, I have a, a black friend. Oh, no, my homegirl is black. That does not mean you can do that, my hair, homegirl. Right. Now, now, Leslie, how do you, you know, I really, I really thoroughly enjoyed your memoir. Before we go into the next question, what do you think people would be most surprised at when they read your memoir? How serious I can get at moments or how very real and vulnerable that I'm um, that I'm willing to open up and they need to understand this is the person that I am now. Oh, my God. If I quantum leap back, I would be like, holy shit, you are pretty cool. Like, how did you get so damn cool? I thought you was a dumbass. You at 21. You was a dumbass. You are holy. Well, when did you learn this? When did you become so empathetic? Oh, when did you become this person? This is crazy. No, seriously. You know, I will say I agree. When I read your memoir, I felt like um, a I was getting to know you in like a, a, in a much more serious way, and B I thought this book was so helpful. Yes, for women, but obviously for Black women because it's also it's like listen. I've done things where it's like some people might consider them mistakes. Some people might consider them like, you know, lessons learned, whatever. But it's forgiving, loving, trusting oneself. So then it's like, and I can then step into my truth because I'm a a work in progress. Like none of us are perfect. And so being, at one point you had a line that was like, you know, I wish I could be like kind to my former self, which is something I'm always trying to remind myself and my students. It's like, be nice to yourself first because that actually gives you empathy for other people. Mm-hmm. And you sort of see this journey of Leslie being nicer to Leslie and de facto being more empathetic and kind to the people around you, sort of helping you in this journey. I really thoroughly, I just, I can't recommend it enough. Leslie effing Jones, I can't say the proper uh, well, title on, on the podcast. <laughs> well, I, I think that a lot of people don't realize that there are, they are a person. I, mm-hmm. it's, it, the way to explain that is, is that um, when we buy gifts for people, we'll really go out our, our way to buy a gift for a person. But then we were buying for ourselves. We go, oh, no, you can get the cheap one or how mm-hmm. you when you wash your head, like when someone else um, someone else does your hair, it may hurt. You may be tender headed, but when you do your own hair, you don't really feel it because you're doing it to yourself. I, it's almost like you don't feel yourself as a person. They, and 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 you and you just live as a functioning thing until you do come into it's it's almost like you you come into your life where you go oh dude dude I I have things that I like 
Mm-hmm. Oh, I don't like when my food is spicy. Right. Oh, I don't like to sleep this way. Oh, right. oh, or you oh, know like, what? I like to... this. This shirt no longer brings me joy. Exactly. That, oh, wow. I don't will. like this the way that this, this like I have feelings. And then you then then there's a part of you that freaks out because you go. It's almost something that's being introduced to you as yeah. another person because you're like, oh, shit. Now I got to start yeah. making that person. And I don't want to spend time doing that. That sounds that seems very um it seems very selfish and it seems very like, no, that, that's the engine you're supposed to work on. Like, but like it, what's fascinating though, is when you start doing that, there's certain people who can't accept it. Oh, it, it would see. That's the thing that we have a problem with. Stop giving a fuck about other people. That's right. Like they're not part of your equation. You don't go to sleep with those people at night. When you get up in the morning, you don't see that person in the mirror. You see you. That's who you deal with. You are your worst enemy, not the motherfuckers on the outside. They are just dogs barking at your parade. Mm-hmm. Have you ever seen a parade stop for a barking dog? <laughs> not fucking right. once. Okay, we're going to move on to question number two. Obviously, the two of us could sit here and talk about this all day. We will be right back. You're listening to The Blackest Question. Y'all, come look at what Michael Harriet just posted. Black Twitter. Come get your man. It's his podcast episodes for me. I was today years old when I found out Michael Harriet had a podcast. Subscribed. I'm world famous white peopleologist Michael Harriet, and this is The Griot Daily. That's right, the Black Twitter King has a podcast, The Griot Daily with Michael Harriet, every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday on the Griot Black Podcast Network and accessible wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And we're back. Okay, are you ready for question number two? Yes. I feel it. We're going to get it. Okay. Okay. At the age of just 13 years old, this singer-songwriter became the youngest person to have a number one single on the Billboard Hot 100 chart. This person is also a musician, a producer, and has won nearly 30 Grammy Awards. Can you name this performer? Stevie Wonder. That's right. So, Stevie Wonder, whose real name is Steveland, was born in Saginaw, Michigan in 1950. He was born six weeks premature and was placed in the hospital incubator that had too much oxygen which caused him to go blind. Yeah. But that didn't stop Stevie, who was a star in his church choir at eight years old. By the time he was 11, he was signed to Barry Gordy's Motown Records. And because of his age, his song royalties were put in a trust that he couldn't access until he was 21 years old. Instead, Stevie and his mother were given a weekly stipend of $2.50 while they were on tour, which is about $25 today. As I mentioned, at the age of 13, he had his first number one song with fingertips parts one and two, and it featured a young Marvin Gaye on the drums. The single was simultaneously number one on the R&B chart, which was the first time that it ever happened. And over the next roughly 60 years, Stevie has recorded nearly 30 studio albums, has 30 number one hits, has hundreds of producer and songwriter credits, has a net worth of about $200 million. And I don't know if you knew this, Leslie, it's the 50th anniversary of my favorite Stevie album, Inner Visions. So when we were thinking about Stevie, I thought it was pretty interesting that you all had, you and your family yep. had this connection to Stevie Wonder and your your father was hired by Stevie to run his radio station in LA, which is what brought you all out there. So tell us a little bit more about that. You know what's so crazy about Stevie Wonder and, and, and for the evolution for me with him is when we were in Memphis, the thing that was uh, the hit was that girl. That girl mm. was a hit. And I was into Stevie, but like, I didn't get into Stevie until I was in college and somebody played Intervisions for me and I heard visions of my mind and I thought, holy cow. 
This guy is literally a poet. He's like, yeah. he's like, and then, you know, delve really, but as far as for the history of my family, like, yeah, he met my father and felt my dad was a charm. And he fell in love with my father and brought him out here to California to work at KJLH as an electronic engineer or, you know, DJ and promotions and stuff like that. And he was always with Stevie. I, I remember my favorite story that my dad told me about Stevie, that they were getting out of car. They were getting out the car, getting ready to walk into the radio station. And this really pretty girl walked past and <laughs> Stevie uh, whispered over to my dad. He was like, yeah, she fine, huh? And my dad was like, Right, like, how do you know? Can you see Stevie? (laughs) (laughs) He said, I think that man can see. (laughs) Well, you know, there's a whole conspiracy on the internet that Stevie Wonder can see. Um, Well, Visions of My Mind says it. He's like, he knows that the leaves are green. You know, there's things that he can see. You know what I'm saying? Like, I I, I love Stevie Wonder. I think he's... Yeah, he's, he's brilliant. Now... Did you ever want to be, I know you sort of followed in your father's footsteps for a little while and sort of worked in radio. Um, did you ever want to be a musician? No, or no my dad thought world? that. My dad thought, that's so crazy. Everybody asked me that, but my dad did think that I was going to be a musician because I knew music like he knew music. Like mm-hmm. I was just very young and I listened to everything that he listened to. It's so funny. When we lived in Fort Bragg, um, in this apartment, I remember this apartment. I remember my room. God, I don't even know how old I was, but I, in my closet, I had this net, this fish net that I hang, hung and I would spray with, uh, the, the psychedelic, the, mm-hmm. the fluorescent spray. So at nighttime it would, uh, it would, you know, show up when you close the door. It just like, a, okay. A, and I would put the hits of the week cause my dad would give me records. So I would put the hits of the week inside of the net. So whenever my friends would come over, they would be like, oh, that that's that. Then I'd be like, yeah, I'll play the hit of the week. Oh, I was so corny. Oh, my God, that's so corny. <laughs> I love a good memory. I love a good just, memory. But that's so corny. And But but it's it's like my dad would buy me instruments, and he, he bought an organ once. And the only thing I learned how to play was Silent Night. So I would play <laughs> Silent Night every time. he When he got ready to sell it, he'd go, Leslie, come out here and play Silent Night. And I would come out and put that little coochie-coochie-coochie-coochie-coochie uh-huh. and then play Silent Night. He bought me a guitar, and I sold it to my cousin. So at that point, he was like, you don't, yeah. you don't want to be a musician, huh? And I was yeah. like, no, nah, I mean, I just like music. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Well, I didn't even want to be a DJ. Right. Well, I think, you know, before we go to break, I just I do think that there's something, though, about the the timing and the melodic sort of cadence and rhythm of your comedy that does have sort of a, a rhythm to it. Yeah. That harkens back to, I think, your foundation in the music yeah, that you talked absolutely. about in the memoir absolutely. with you and your dad. Absolutely. Okay, so we're going to take a quick break. Okay. I want to remind our listeners to like us on YouTube and subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode. I'm talking with the Leslie Jones, the author, Leslie <clears throat> Jones. We'll be right back. You're listening to The Blackest Questions. I'm Torre. Join us for crazy true stories about stars who I really hung out with, like Snoop, Jay-Z, Prince, Kanye, and the time I got kidnapped by Suge Knight. Don't miss my animated series, Star Stories with Torre, from the Grio Black Podcast Network. Okay. 
Okay, we're back. You're listening to The Blackest Questions. I'm with author, comedian, and actress, Leslie Jones. Leslie, are you ready for question number three? Yes, I am. Okay. Question number three. This actor, comedian, and singer is one of only three men to be nominated for two Academy Awards in the same year for two different acting projects. One was for Best Actor. The other was for Best Supporting Actor. Who is he? You said actor, singer, singer. And comedian. And comedian. Ooh, Jamie Foxx? That is correct. Oh, and I almost said, I almost said Denzel Washington. I was like, Denzel can't sing. No, and I don't, I don't know about Denzel's stand-up either. Um, I'm not, I'm not trying to diss Denzel and Mal Vernon, but I don't know much about Denzel's stand-up. Um, I don't want, I don't want to have Mal Vernon. He was funny in hard condition. I liked him That's in that. true. But I don't need that Mal Vernon smoke. I don't. Because Denzel, you know, is a Fordham alum. I'm a professor at Fordham. I don't, I don't need that smoke. Um, but Jamie was born in Terrell, Texas, playing piano and singing in his church choir and was a star quarterback of his high school football team. When he was a teenager, his dream was to play for the Dallas Cowboys. And he landed his first Hollywood gig on the sketch comedy show In Living Color, where most of us were first introduced to him. Since then, he's had his own TV show. He starred in dozens of movies, most notably Ray, which won him an Oscar for Best Actor. He's also had a successful musical career, releasing five albums and having two number one hit singles. So, Leslie, like so many comedians, you've worked at this for years before, you know, really making it big. And you got some really great advice from Jamie Foxx early on that you talk about in the book. I think I was about 17, 18, and I left college to become a comedian and went up. I, my friend was getting me this spot. So I got a, got a, a spot where Jamie Foxx was going to be the headliner. At the time, you know, he it wasn't Jamie Foxx. He was just a really good comic that's probably about to blow up. And, um, yeah, man, I bombed. But when I watched him perform, it was just like – oh, wow, I did not know that there was other comedians that can be as funny as Eddie Murphy and mm-hmm. Richard Pryor. Like, oh, my God, this guy, mm-hmm. this uh, the cadence that he's doing, that's what I want to do because his cadence was was exactly the same, like very real, very honest. You knew he was talking about his life. Like it wasn't like he was just telling jokes. So uh, honestly, I was with my homegirl, and I got my homegirl to, you know, not seduce, but, you know, just – kind of get the the, the promoter to, to yeah. be like into her you know because the promoter was his friend so we ended up at fat burgers and i remember this because i think i flirted with him at first because jamie was fine i think i flirted with him at first but then i saw that he wasn't really he wasn't really into that like i always tell him i know i was part of wanda i, I know you but- probably <laughs> he was like no you, are you stupid but but i just remember him saying you are, he was like, how old are you? And I, I think I had just turned 19. He was like, you 19? He was like, 19? He was like, you have no idea what you're doing. He was like, you don't know shit. You don't have nothing to talk about. Right. He said, all right. you had to talk about is your high school years, which nobody wants to hear about yet because you don't know how to tell those jokes. Even the little joke you trying to tell about your uncle, you don't even know your uncle because if you knew your uncle, you'd be able to tell that joke better. And if you had been on stage a while, you will know how to tell that he said stop telling jokes and and go and live life so he was like you 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 gotta go have something to talk about so go live life like go get fired go get hired go get your heart broke go break some hearts like just go make mistakes and and yeah that was 1987 and i i yep i did exactly that and started back up in 1993 okay 
Well, listen, Leslie, I know we got to get you out of here, but we're going to play Black Lightning really quickly, okay? okay. It's Black Now, this is, there are no right or wrong answers. You just okay. tell me the first thing that comes to your mind. Oh, my God. Ready? Yes. Okay, here we go. Okay. What's your biggest pet peeve? Oh, gum chewing, mint gum chewing. Mm. What's your favorite dish to cook? Ooh, uh, ooh, eggs. Give us one item on your bucket list. Ooh, 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 to, to play a villain. Ooh. Uno or spades? Ooh, spades. Would you rather watch professional basketball or college basketball? College. Favorite thing to do in Los Angeles? Well, I should say WNBA. Um, go, actually, go to the WNBA games. <laughs> okay, and give us a comedian we should keep our eye on. Ooh, oh, there's so many. Ooh, ah, uh, ooh, oh, ooh, and and they're coming to me, and I'm like, ooh, uh, that person, uh, ooh, um, 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 ooh, um, ooh, God, Eleanor, Eleanor, <laughs> she's gonna be so mad at me, Eleanor Kerrigan, and, and okay. it's a white girl from Philly, but. She's funny. She's funny as hell. I'm, I mean, really. And, and I'm, I'm, I know they're going to be like, girl, you're on a black show. Get, I'm so sorry. It's, it's just like the names are not coming to me. And I'm looking right at them to hear more. Uh, Tony Baker. Um, the, those are like people are just like really just. Okay. They're going to kill me. Well, sorry. No, that's it, okay. If I forgot Listen. you, I'll think of something later and I'm going to be like, well, you know what? When the episode comes out, you can tweet. And, you know, I'm always thinking about, like, Marina Franklin and Pat Brown. Yes, and, like, Marina. You know, oh and Aaron. No, y- Yamamika. Yamamika Sanders. And Yamamika, Yamamika Sanders. That's Aaron who you Jackson. need to watch out. Like, Put, that's who I'm saying right now. And Yamamika. I know she's going to be so. Yamika. I love Yamamika. Him. And she's going to be like, girl, you never say my name right. But it's Yamika Sanders. <laughs> Yamamika. So funny. She is so funny. Great. So great. funny. Yes. She's great. Aaron, Yamanika, Marina, and Pat. And, and, and Cookie Hall, too. Sorry. <laughs> oh, goodness. Okay. So thank you so much for playing along with us. And for our listeners, run out and pick up a copy of Leslie's new memoir, Leslie Effing Jones. Oh, yes. Leslie, please promise you'll come back and spend a little more time. Yes, with us. yes. I hope I got I got all my questions right. So almost. <laughs> almost. And we'll make sure Ernie Hudson knows that we love him dearly. Ugh. And we'll have to. Ernie, I'm so sorry. I, I just got an old moment. Okay. All right. Thank you all. Um, And we'll talk soon, Leslie. I want to thank you all for listening to The Blackest Questions. This show is produced by Sasha Armstrong and Jeffrey Trudeau. And Regina Griffin is our director of podcast. If you like what you heard, subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode. You can find more on the Griot Black Podcast Network on the Griot app, website, and YouTube. I'm Torre. Join us for crazy true stories about stars who I really hung out with, like Snoop, Jay-Z, Prince, Kanye, and the time I got kidnapped by Suge Knight. Don't miss my animated series, Star Stories with Torre, from the Griot Black Podcast Network. <laughs> 